United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Massive and memorable show coming your way. I am Dean Linky, delighted to be with you. And this show is indeed special as we spend time with Kurt and Kyle Schmid. Kurt is the technical director for the Miami MLS team. Kyle is the associate head coach out at Loyola Marymount. His dad, Ziggy Schmid, an icon, left us too early. He's one of three going in to the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Kurt and Kyle Schmidt join me. Ralph Perez also kicks off my interview about Ziggy and his Hall of Fame career. Up next, the Bill Jeffrey Collegiate Long-Term Service Award going to Sasho Sarovsky, the top man at Maryland who's won three national championships and has been a pioneer for college soccer. He'll join me. Rob Kehoe announced on Tuesday that after 12 years, he's stepping down as the director of college programs for United Soccer Coaches, a visit with Rob Kehoe, and we end with Big Ten and 10, the Purdue women's soccer team, their head coach, Drew Roth, and their all-time leading scorer, Maddie Williams. And it starts after this message from Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. United Soccer Coaches has announced that the late, great Ziggy Schmidt, the legendary former head coach of UCLA men's soccer and multiple MLS teams, will be inducted into the association's Hall of Fame as part of the 2021 class. The newest class of inductees, which also features longtime head coaches Joe Pallone of the United States Military Academy and Horace Richardson of Colorado College, will be honored at the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention from January 11 through 15. They are set to become the 69th, 70th, and 71st inductees into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, which was established in 1991 to honor achievement by coaches with an emphasis on success and lifetime devotion to the association and the game. Already a member of the UCLA and U.S. Soccer National Halls of Fame, Schmidt recorded a 322-63-33 record in a storied 19-year tenure in Westwood. In that time, he led the Bruins to three NCAA titles while earning National Coach of the Year honors twice. His 8-10 winning percentage is the sixth best in NCAA Division I history. Schmidt produced six UCLA Hall of Famers during his coaching career. Many of these players went on to have successful professional and international careers, including Kobe Jones, Brad Friedel, Paul Caligiuri, Carlos Bocanegra, Joe Max Moore, and Chris Henderson. Schmidt accepted a position as the head coach of Major League Soccer's LA Galaxy in 1999, beginning a long and successful stint in the top flight of professional American soccer, where he also coached with Columbus and Seattle. 
He became the winningest coach in MLS history with 266 wins across regular and postseason play and was twice named MLS Coach of the Year. In fact, the league renamed the award the Ziggy Schmidt Coach of the Year Award in 2019. Over his MLS career, Schmidt won a pair of MLS Cups, a record five U.S. Open Cups, and three MLS Supporter Shields. Schmidt, who passed away on December 25, 2018, was also good friends with former U.S. national team coach Jurgen Klinsmann, whose family grew up not far from Schmidt's in southern Germany and was another longtime friend and confidant. Klinsmann said this at his funeral, and I quote, Ziggy Schmidt was such a giver. Ziggy leaves us far too early. People like him are very rare in this world. Straightforward, giver, passionate, endlessly dedicated to his mission and to his family. Schmidt is survived by his wife, Valerie, his sons, Kurt and Kyle, who we will visit with today, as well as Eric and daughter, Lacey, and several grandchildren. Before we speak with Kurt and Kyle Schmidt, who in their own rights are having great success, Kurt is the technical director for Inter-Miami CF in Major League Soccer, and Kyle is the associate head coach at Loyola Marymount under another former UCLA Bruin, the great Paul Crumpy. We'll visit with Ralph Perez, who was with him a long time as a U.S. soccer staff coach and Ralph, first off, thanks for joining us. If he were still with us, what would he say about going into the Hall of Fame, Ralph? I think you, first of all, because of his personality and his humility as a person, he would be uh, honored. He would think of this as a, a great distinction going into the Hall of Fame of a, of a sport that was so dear to his heart. And more importantly, uh, I think Zig worked so hard, but he never really worked for the accolades. He just loved coaching three-time national champion at ucla he won a title at columbus he won a title with the galaxy i mean all he did was win ralph yes he did and uh, one of the things that uh i got to know him at when he coached at ucla he built that program up uh, with minimum scholarship dollars not the greatest facilities not only did he build a great program the legacy of how many players from ucla went on to play for our olympic and national teams is in you know, incredible the amount of players that have come through UCLA and wear the red, white, and blue. And then when he came to Los Angeles, the Galaxy, I remember his first meeting with the press was that he, he wanted to put trophies in that trophy case. And we won the Confederations CONCACAF Championship. We won the Open Cup in his time there. And we won the MLS Cup. And then I know he went to Columbus to win a, an MLS Cup. And then he won, I think, four U.S. Open Cups with the Seattle Sounders. And he wasn't a guy that said, look at me, look at me, while he was doing all of that either, Ralph. No, not at all. I think he was first to give always credit to the players, uh, always credit to, uh, you know, having good fortune, uh, having good players. I think that probably the, the one thing that he always felt really positive about was that he uh, did a fantastic job of taking a group of players and bringing them together, molding them into a, a real tight unit and uh, making it very significant as far as playing for each other and really wanting to achieve success. And uh, it was a joy uh, to, to watch him work. Much better to work with him than against him. Indeed. Coming up, we're going to hear from two of his children, Kurt Schmidt, who's the technical director at Inter-Miami, David Beckham Clubs, and Kyle Schmidt, who's the associate head coach at Loyola Marymount out there near you in Los Angeles. And 
that's not going to be easy, but I know family was important to Ziggy. Can you touch on that? Yeah, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, that I knew about Zig was that, you know, he had his three sons. They were all important to him. Uh, I think he always made it a priority that uh, family came first. Very close with his dad. His dad always supported him in soccer. His dad was a, a referee uh, as well. Came to all the games. Was at all the meaningful playoff games as well. Supported his boys. Uh, you know, two of them went on to play collegiately at Wake Forest and UCLA. And then uh, Kyle went on to play at Washington and then UC Irvine. You know, his kids were the most important thing to him. That was always something I admired about him, that he put them first. Kurt's got three kids, one on the way. Kyle's got two kids, one on the way. If Opa, as they call him, were still around, how much love would he be giving those grandkids, Ralph? Well, I think that's the part that I think is always, you know, heartbreaking, that Valerie, his wife, really feels that pain where, you know, seeing the grandchildren and knowing how much that would have meant to Ziggy to be around, to be with them, watch them play sports to be around them uh, during the holidays. I think he was really looking forward to that part of his life where retirement gives you that freedom to go and see the, the kids and spend time with them. Uh, and I think that that would be his passion right now. Summing it all up, when you think of Ziggy Schmidt in one sentence, what's the best way to describe what he's meant to the game and to the association? I would say that, you know, Ziggy Schmidt exemplifies a man of great honesty and integrity and passion for the sport of soccer and gave everything he could to the game that he loved the most. Could never stop wanting to do it, even if, even when he retired. I know we were analyzing games, we were analyzing playoff games of whether it be Champions League, you name it. We'd be sitting at a coffee shop and breaking down what should have been done, what could have been done and how, the, how they could be doing that better. Ralph Perez, always a touch of class. Thanks so much for your fitting tribute to Ziggy Schmidt going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Thank you, Mr. Dean Linky, and have a great holiday. Happy holidays to you, Ralph Perez, and thanks for your great words about Ziggy Schmidt and great words about his family, including his three boys. We're joined by two of his boys now, Kurt Schmidt, who is the technical director for Inner Miami CF, and Kyle Schmidt, who is the associate head coach at Loyola Marymount University out in Los Angeles. Kurt and Kyle, honored to be with you and Kurt we'll start with you when you heard the news about your father being inducted into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame perhaps some of your first thoughts yeah I think it's just a, a great honor and I think it makes us all feel good and, and proud that so many people remember him so fondly and and respect him and what he's done for the game and who he was as a person and that he's receiving this honor Kyle, as you think about it, you've got two kids. Your brother's got three. He's got another one. Obviously, they won't be able to grow up with your great father, but obviously it's got to mean something to be able to tell your kids that Ziggy Schmidt is a Hall of Famer with United Soccer Coaches. It's obviously uh, nice to share with them all the things their opa was uh, able to do and all the things they're able to accomplish. And, you know, still even my oldest will look at this, the TV sometimes and depending on who's playing, he's he'll tell me that's that's opa's team. So it's always nice to uh, be able to share memories of them and be able to obviously share what my dad did. In the simplest form, guys, I broke into soccer in 1989 and Ziggy was really involved with U.S. soccer. I was working with U.S. soccer. We were doing Olympic festivals. And then he was having that great success at UCLA. And then half the Olympic team was from UCLA. And then 
He was the assistant coach on that 94 World Cup team. I was the press officer. So I got to know him really well. And in its simplest form, you often hear the expression, no one has a bad word to say about him. You know, that's what they say about Ziggy. And they mean it. And I mean it. And you guys have heard it over and over. When you hear that expression, again, in its simplest form, what does it mean to you? I'll start with you, Kurt. Yeah, I think about how it's it's a lot to live up to, you know, and it's something that that I want to strive for, you know, as I move through life and, and my career. And, you know, it's an admirable goal. And, you know, I, I'm again, I'm proud that it's something that can be said about him. And so many people do say it about him. Kyle, because you both played and you both coached and now, you know, Kurt is a technical director for a accomplished team now in Major League Soccer. So great to have inner Miami CF and you're an associate head coach at LMU. When you think about how players felt about him and now you're leading players, Kyle, what do you take with you from what your dad taught you? I think first and foremost, he was just always an example, you know, so being able to tag along at a young age to a lot of things nowadays that I think wouldn't be able to be possible. You know, I remember as a young kid sitting next to him on the bench during college games, you know, so just just being a fly on the wall in those situations is obviously something that sticks with me. And all the players, like you said, that hold them in a high regard, you know, and like Kurt said as well, I just hope that, you know, one day, you know, people will think that we affected their lives as much as my father was able to affect their lives. We're here with Kurt and Kyle Schmid talking about their late great father, Ziggy Schmid, one of three going to be inducted January 11th through 15 into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. At what point did you guys become aware of the then named NSCAA, now named United Soccer Coaches? Because Ziggy obviously was a big timer with U.S. Soccer, but always had time for the United Soccer Coaches. Kurt, we'll start with you. When did you become aware of what United Soccer Coaches meant and maybe what it meant to your dad? I think maybe my earliest memories, I guess, are seeing uh, seeing the the little plaques or the the awards up in the office for the All Americans, you know, and that was always kind of an an iconic mainstay of the office decor over there at UCLA. So many of those certificates along the wall. So I guess that's that was sort of my first uh, recognition of of the letters and 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 the name. But uh, you know, as as I got older and discovered more about what the organization was and and how involved he was in it, you know, it it obviously took on a a greater importance, I think, if it uh, we're we're a little bit West Coast uh, focused family, so I don't know if we got to attend any uh, any conventions or many conventions when we were younger because there weren't quite as many that were close to us. But uh, you know, as I got older, for sure, and as we got into coaching more and more, um, you know, I got to go to some, especially as it was attached to the MLS draft and all that stuff. And you know, it was interesting. You could always walk through the hall or or you know just the halls of the hotel. Uh, at the convention and you know if you're if you're with you know anywhere near my dad when when he was walking through he couldn't make it two steps without uh, having a five or ten minute conversation with someone that he hadn't seen in a long time you know so it was always a, a special thing to see you know again you know you brought up earlier about uh, how people say you know don't have a bad thing to say about him and that kind of got hit home in that experience, you know, where you'd be walking a couple steps here and then he'd meet someone that he used to coach with back then and a couple steps there. And then maybe he'd meet a player he used to coach or, you know, someone who's coaching themselves now, you know, and just, it was, it was an incredible experience, I guess, you know, it's kind of funny to think about it. Sometimes maybe it was a little annoying <laughs> in the moment, but uh, it was, uh, you know, I guess that's what I think of when I think about uh, him in the convention. I asked you earlier about the example that uh, will be set for your own kids, Kyle, but what about you as a kid? When did you realize that, well, my dad's a big deal and he's a great man and a great coach and really helping young lives? I mean, was there a tipping point for you where you're like, 
wow, this is pretty cool being the son of Ziggy Schmid. I mean, I don't think there was a real tipping point. It was just kind of a whole collective, you know, body of work type thing. You know, when you're around him, obviously my dad is someone I idolized my whole life. So, you know, when uh, there was an opportunity to go with him to things or be around him, uh, I would jump at any chance, you know, to do that. So, you know, the example he always said for me was, you know, like you said, people don't have a bad, bad thing to say about him. It's walking in the hallways, like Kurt said, and, you know, just stopping people and giving time to everyone and just seeing how he carried himself daily. But there wasn't one real, you know, moment where I'm like, wow, this, this guy's a big deal. It was just kind of a, a collection of events of, you know, watching him just, just be himself. And to be quite frank, he was always pretty candid and, and genuine. And, and I think you, you kind of knew what you got with him. And that's what, that's, that's who he was. One of the interesting things I found is in Ziggy's last years, he was more involved with United soccer coaches than ever before. He was heading up the pro division and he was working hand in hand with Lynn Burley Manuel. And you guys know he didn't have to do any of that. He can just show up and be Ziggy Schmid. But, you know, the United soccer coach is all about sharing ideas. And he wanted to share in his later years and he didn't have to. Why do you think he wanted to do that so much? It's going to feel weird for me to, to talk about this, I think, because it's something that that he would always talk about. And I've heard the story so much that I'm probably telling it through through his perspective. But I think when he was, you know, coming up as a young coach growing up, I think he would go over every, anywhere he could all, all over L.A., Southern California, Germany, you know, anywhere where he could find someone playing soccer uh, or coaching soccer and watch and observe and try to talk to them and soak up ideas and learn. He always thought fondly upon that and, and the people that gave him some of their time and wanted to do the same thing. So, you know, that's why I think it didn't matter to him whether he was busy or not. I think, you know, he, if he found an opportunity to share, it's something that he wanted to do because people um, were sharing with him. Kyle? He was always one to give back. I think he, he understood where he came from and how he got to where he got to be. And he, he, uh, he, he knows he wasn't able to do it alone. And there was a lot of people along the way who were able to, to help him and, you know, were mentors to him and were able to give him a, a hand or advice here and there. And I think, I think he always wanted to give back. And uh, part of me thinks like he didn't really have another hobby either. You know, he doesn't really, <laughs> wasn't, he wasn't an avid golfer. He had a set of golf clubs, but he, I couldn't he tell did you try that. back then in 94. He tried yeah. to get into golfing and didn't yeah, work. I, yeah. So, I mean, he, it was like, there was nothing else he was going to do. So, I mean, when he had a spare minute, he, you know, it was like, this is just who he is and who, what he was going to do. What do you remember yeah. Ziggy telling you about being a part of that world cup staff in 1994? Endless aura stories and, and his accents, um, and lessons that he learned, you know, in on that staff, and and he would definitely try to do the accent, and that was always uh, funny to hear. I think uh, some of that stuff, you know, we'd heard a few times. So, guys, I'm an Ohio boy. So when Ziggy came to Columbus and made such a big impact, it was huge for the Midwest. What do you remember about his days with the crew? Because that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, he was he was hungry. I think to to prove you know to pr to prove himself always. You know, even even as he got older, I think he never he never really lost that that hunger and that desire. And you know, so when he had the chance to go to a place like Columbus outside of his comfort zone and 
prove that he could do it again, you know, that he could build a winning team, that he could, you know, win trophies there. You know, he, he jumped at it. He loved it. He enjoyed it. He always found something about each new challenge that he would kind of latch on to. And that would be like his thing that he enjoyed about it. And I know, you know, like in Columbus, I think one of the things he liked about it was how how relevant the club was in the city, you know, where he could he could see people out in town and they'd be like, Hey, you're, you're the coach of the crew. And, you know, wasn't something that happened as much in, in LA uh, way back then, but you know, in Columbus, he had that. Here with the two oldest sons of the late great Ziggy Schmid, who's going into the United soccer coaches hall of fame, Kurt and Kyle Schmid. And I got to admit guys, this is a emotional interview because of how awesome your dad was. And there's probably going to be more awards coming your way. Uh, he clearly, left us too early. I know you guys miss him. This is hard, right? I don't think a day goes by where I don't think about him or uh, or the things or advice I think he would tell me. I mean, even myself, I, I realized I'm a young coach and I would call him for advice all the time. And, you know, there's things going on right now with, with COVID and I just wish sometimes I could pick up the phone and call him and 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 ask him these questions but i think just living every day in the soccer world and the soccer community it's a huge honor i mean i i feel like i'm a very small uh pebble in this big pond and even being that small of a pebble i think people people cross my path or i cross other people's path and you know i can't tell you how many people have crossed me with a story or hey your dad did this or hey you know this is a story about your dad or hey i'm so sorry and it seems like you know ever since he passed uh even though it's been some time i i, I don't think uh, you know a, a, definitely a day doesn't go by where i don't think about him but definitely a week or a couple of weeks goes by without an email or a message or something that goes you know something referencing you know something my dad did or said or a story about him in some way that just you know just leaves a a lasting impact on me personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just, I guess I'll just say that it's hard, you know, it's its difficult and it's its obviously great that um, that people remember him well and that honors are, you know, are coming his way and, and that's, that's well and good, but it's just, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I don't know if there's any other easier way to say it, but it's, it's, it's difficult. If he was here, knowing what we know about how he felt about the NSCAA now, United soccer coaches, what do you think he'll want to get across if he was there to receive his Hall of Fame plaque? I don't know. He 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 wasn't uh, the biggest public speaker, <laughs> so I'm trying to think of what his speech would would be like. He would have had a few bullet points written on a piece of paper about thanking people that helped him when he was uh, up and coming. And apologies because I don't know who those names are, but I'm sure they know who they are. And then I'm sure he would launch into a few stories. <laughs> I think the point that he would try to get across is what we discussed earlier, which is, which is just that uh, that he, you know, again, he's he's grateful for all the people that helped him on his path, on his way, and he tried to help as many people as he could on on uh, as he encountered them on his path, and that you know, if you wanna. I guess buy into or, or honor him, you know, that's that that would be just more of the same, you know, and whether it was coaches that he helped along or that helped him along, you know, whether it's, you know, players that played for him. I mean, you know, you can't you can't think of a, a walk of life, a field of study, a profession in, in this country where he there's not a guy that used to play for uh, for for dad that um, that works there now that that, you know, you can kind of trust and rely upon, you know, so just his. Uh, his reach, you know, was, was enormous in that way. Um, so yeah, I think he would just try to express, you know, to, 
to help people um, as they move along. I think that would be the, the appropriate message for uh, the association. I think you definitely have a joke or two or some humor, a good story or two. I know he was always good for a couple of those or a UCLA-ism, you know, from a story from one of his. John his John there. Wooden, a Wooden story. John Wooden or a Wurzberger story or a Ralph Perez story or someone, you know. That's um, true. I think most of all, you know, the thing he would try to impart is, you know, soccer is, you know, it's a game and it's 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 a beautiful game, but, you know, it's it's more than a game and it was more than a game to him and it's about people and connecting people and, um, you know, it, it allowed him and gave him all of these uh, opportunities he probably never knew existed in a life that he he never imagined, you know, and so I think... You know, just knowing that when you go through it or whatever you're going through in life or soccer that, you know, there's definitely other people going through the same stuff. And, you know, we all just need to help each other. Ziggy Schmidt is going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, and it means what to you? We'll start with you, Kyle. It's a huge honor for our family. It's uh, something, you know, my dad obviously spent a lot of time and dedicated his life to this game and uh, this career. And uh, it's just a testament to the work he's done, not only on the field, but off the field to the to the many lives that he's touched and been a part of. And, you know, hopefully he continues to be a part of just, you know, obviously right now in story or in memory or in lessons they learned. I think it's 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 a huge honor. And in your words, Kurt, it's an honor to, uh, to for him to see him continue to be recognized, not just for the work he did, but for the person that he was. Amen. When we return to visit with Sasha Sarasky. Registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be together in person, the interactive digital event taking place January 11th through 15th, 2021 will still bring the soccer coaching community together for a week of fantastic presenters, diplomas, network opportunities, and more. To register, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan. The Bill Jeffrey Award, recognizing long-term service to United Soccer Coaches and Intercollegiate Soccer, is named to the former Penn State coach who played a major role in shaping soccer and the association. Jeffrey was the head coach of the 1950 U.S. World Cup team that defeated England 1-0 in one of the greatest upsets in the history of soccer. He was the coach of Penn State for 26 seasons, winning 10 National Collegiate Championships and is a member of the National Soccer Hall of Fame. A founding member of the association, he served as its president in 1948. Each year, United Soccer Coaches presents this award to a person who has raised intercollegiate soccer to new heights through his or her long-term dedication to the game. And make no mistake, this year's honoree of the Bill Jeffrey College Long-Term Service Award is overdue. This man is a true pioneer for college soccer, a United Soccer Coaches member since 1989. Sasso Sarosky has been the head coach at the University of Maryland since 1993. He has transformed the Terrapin program into a national power, leading the team to three national championships in 2005, 2008, and 2018. His teams have made nine College Cup appearances, won 15 conference titles, and qualified for 25 NCAA tournaments. Entering his 28th season at Maryland and 30th season overall as a college head coach, he sports a 424, 164, and 62 career record, including a 398, 151, 55 mark at Maryland. 
a leader among his peers and players, Soroski has also worked to elevate the college game on the national stage. He served as the longtime chair of the Division I Coaches Committee and has been one of the most influential people in the college game. He was the driving force that convinced the association to hire a full-time employee to work on behalf of college soccer, which has led to more televised games, a lobbying voice with the NCAA, and a constant effort to push programs to enhance their facilities, better market their programs, and support the annual College Cup. Sarosky was inducted into the UW-Milwaukee Athletic Hall of Fame in 1998 for his collegiate playing career, and he received a letter of commendation from United Soccer Coaches in 2017. I've been saying the name forever. It's my mom's favorite name in soccer, and Sasho Sarosky is kind enough to join me now. Sasho, well-deserved honor. Congratulations on receiving this from United Soccer Coaches. Dean, great to be with you. As it is a great honor, and I was very surprised when I received a phone call to receive such a distinguished award to join so many of the great stewards of the game. I'm very, very grateful to the United Soccer Coaches for this honor. You also are very aware of the history of soccer. And Bill Jeffrey, as I said earlier, right before you came on, you know, he beat England in the 1950 World Cup, coached at Penn State forever, 10 national championships. What does it mean to have an, an honor named after him? Well, you know, I get to play at Bill Jeffrey Field almost every year against Penn State, so I'm very aware of the history of Bill Jeffrey and what he did in the college game. You know, he died at the NCAA Soccer Committee with a heart attack. This is a person that literally gave his life to college soccer, so he's an inspiration to all of us. He was one of the immigrants that came over, fell in love with the idea of college soccer, and dedicated his life to make college soccer better. And to be honest, that's exactly what I've tried to do. Uh, I had a great opportunity to play at Wisconsin-Milwaukee in a soccer scholarship, be the first in my family to get a college degree. And, you know, I used to go to all the United Soccer Coaches uh, conventions. And my first one was in the late 80s. And I was so inspired by the commitment people had to interscholastic soccer at all levels, but particularly in college soccer. And uh, when uh, guys like Jerry Yagley and John Rennie were winding down their careers, and I went to every meeting, I was inspired by them. And when my chance came to lead and get in the position of leadership and try to carry on the fight for college soccer, I took it upon myself and I'm very proud of the work I've been able to do and the relationships I've built with so many great college coaches uh, to continue to grow this game in spite of some of the limitations. You heard me say that word pioneer. You were really the man pushing for Friday Night Lights, pushing for an environment that appreciates the great game of college soccer. Talk about why that was so important to you. One of the things I tell my players when they come to, to our locker room is it's important for us to make to leave this place better than when you came here. And I feel that way about college soccer. When I took over Maryland, you know, even parents didn't come to the games. We had no no one coming. So I think it, it was my sort of fight for significance. It was my my way to to say college soccer can be a big deal at a major power school. So I dedicated my life at the University of Maryland to making it significant. And you can't be significant if you're not endeared by the community, by the students, by, by the fans. And if you don't play a, a type of soccer that people will pay to watch. So, you know, we charge $15 a person for games. We pack the place. We work very hard at cultivating relationships with our student body, with the whole community in general. And, and uh, you know, when I come to a game on a Friday night and you know, 4,000 people is a bad crowd and 8,000 people is the expected crowd. I feel like it does something really good. 
and create a real significant profile in this, you know, sports crazy area known as the DMV. So I'm very, very proud of that. And, uh, you know, Friday Night Lights in College Park is, is, is fantastic. And then we also found a way to be on TV with the United Soccer Coaches Friday Night College Game of the Week. That was one of the big initiatives I had. I thought there was a, a window, a positioning market, positioning opportunity to highlight college soccer because it was only high school football that was being played on Friday nights. There was no college football, no NFL, no MLS. So we found our niche, but now I'm finding a lot of people are starting peeing on our ground. <laughs> Sasha, I almost called you yesterday because now I'm going to fast forward to right now. I'm watching the MLS playoffs and I'm watching Dewan Jones battle with Chris Mueller and I'm watching these Syracuse players and Virginia players and all over the field there are great college soccer players. The UCLA goalkeeper, a, a goalkeeper from a little school that came up with a massive save. I don't get it. I mean, why does college soccer get a bad rep? Yeah, there's some international stars. They had an impact on the game. Make no mistake. But Sasho, 80, 90% of the players on that field made an impact in college soccer. Well, if you look at the history of the U.S. national teams, the history of the top teams that win consistently in Major League Soccer, you're talking about 60, 70, 80% of the players who spend time in college. And you looked at yesterday's match uh, when New England beat Orlando. Bruce Arena had eight of his 11 players that were college players. And by the way, the other three players were all designated players. So you look at the most successful coaches in the history of MLS as guys who, who applied their trade in college. I think college soccer gets a bad rap, and it really ticks me off to no end. The snobbery that we have in our own country, we all know college soccer can be better. This is why I'm dedicating my life to fighting for the 21st century model. This is why I've dedicated my life to getting college soccer on TV. This is why I've dedicated my life to make college soccer but a big power five school significant because it has so much immense potential. And in spite of the limitations, it is still really, really good and really viable. It's a viable product and, 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 and a great thing. And it really ticks me off to see some of the snobbery that we have within our own country by the media, by the people who are not invested in the game, because it is the glue that has held college soccer together for the past 70 years in this country. And we know there's, there's a lot of good things happening in the game now, but when we don't get the respect, it upsets me. And we'll continue the fight till one day we can really get the proper respect. Tasha, it upsets me as well. Like I said, I wanted to call you because it was college soccer players everywhere. That data you just gave to support it is outstanding. One of the things you just mentioned is the 21st century model. Obviously, this pandemic is awful. I hate it. You hate it. We're all sick of it. We just want to play soccer. We want to play Big Ten soccer but at least some of the other leagues are at least testing it out. And other people that have been helping you, like Carlos Samuano, who has been on the forefront, and Coach Noonan and some of those other guys, they already got a little taste of it. And they feel like we are going to make something good out of something bad. Sasha, can you enhance that thought? I was very, very happy that the ACC on the men's side and on the women's side, uh, you know, the ACC along with the SEC and, and Big 12 had a chance to essentially – try a two-semester model. Now, it's not quite as refined as the 21st century model, but I think what it is going to show, and through my friends at the ACC, like you mentioned, Carlos Samuano and Mike Noonan, Jay Vidovich and Mike Brizendine, who are part of our committee to move the game forward, they've all loved what they've done. They've played one game a week. Uh, they've had a chance to prepare for games. They've had a chance to rest and recover, even dealing with the pandemic. 
and the COVID issues, they feel it's great. Now, I think once we get into the spring and once we get into the championship in the spring, I think momentum will build even, even further. And I think we'll even get some more support on the women's side. We are talking with my committee on a regular basis, and we are looking to hopefully look at maybe getting a vote as early as this April, again, get it back on the docket and hopefully get it through. So I think through this crisis, there might be an opportunity. We can show maybe the downfalls of what people complained about moving to the spring may be wiped out. And hopefully we get we do the right thing for the players. We do the right thing for the game. And, and uh, I'm optimistic as usual, but th- this opportunity might present our, ourselves to to move this forward even, even uh, more than I ever thought. And I'm glad that you mentioned women's soccer because, as you know, they're now going to do one full weekend with the men and women for the championship. And, Sasha, you have been so eloquent in talking about it ending with a true celebration, massive crowds, great weather. Hopefully that's what we'll get. Maybe having the women involved also pushes this forward quicker. I've always hoped that we could combine the men's and women's championship and make it a college soccer celebration. So I think Kerry, North Carolina, stepping up and being the home for the men's and women's final weekend from May 13th to 17th. I'm just really hopeful that the vaccine is in place and that we can we can allow fans to come watch that weekend and show everybody that playing in good weather and a spread out season could be could be what we've been waiting for. And, and I'm really hopeful that that could be our, our shiny moment this May to really show that this is viable. And I'm also hoping it moves the needle on the women's side. I know they're slowly trending towards more acceptance of the 21st century model, but I'm I'm hoping that this uh, really opens up a lot of uh, hearts, minds, and ears on the women's side, and and we can move this forward on both sides because, you know, what's good for the men is good for the women. Uh, My daughter played college soccer, and I I can tell you that uh, the 21st century model is, is good for both genders, not just men's soccer. We're here with Sasho Sarosky, such a well-deserving recipient of the Bill Jeffrey Long-Term Service Award to college soccer. He'll be recognized as part of the digital convention January 11 through 15. Again, congratulations. Sasho, you mentioned fans. I can't wait for this COVID to get out of here because every time I showed up at Ludwig Field, I'd say it's the house that Sasho built, but you're getting ready to build a bigger house, I hope. Can you update us on that? Yeah, you know, uh, almost a year ago, we we made an announcement uh, to build a 8,000 seat with a capacity of 10,000 seat soccer only stadium. The university has worked real hard to find a location to move the track. We have secured that location, but we've taken a pause, almost a 12 month pause on fundraising. You figure out the exact shortcomings economically of the pandemic, but this is going to happen. We will have a soccer specific stadium in the near future. I'm hoping that the track is gone by the beginning of the 2022 season. And then uh, we're, we're going to build it in some phases. But eventually, this will be a uh, one of the shining uh, meccas of college soccer. I know Ludwig Field already is, but this will be a lot more permanent with a few more bells and whistles. So I'm excited for it. It is going to happen. Just a couple more questions for Sasho. Again, winner of the Bill Jeffrey Long-Term Service Award. You know, You're a pioneer for college soccer, but really you're in the middle of a pioneer for so many things at Maryland. It's a university you're so proud of. Robbie Rogers, you pushed the LGBTQ movement. Now you've got a black president, a black AD. I mean, now when social injustice is such a problem, Sasha, Maryland is stepping up big. I know that makes you proud. It does make me proud. And and on a Maryland soccer level, it makes me very proud to see what Zach Steffen and Alex Cornelli have done by forming the Voice Now organization. 
I'm in regular contact with them on a weekly basis. We are forming an alliance with our team with them, and we will be doing some, some real change beginning in the new year. And I'm excited for some of the things we're going to do there. But yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm very proud to be at the University of Maryland. It fits me perfectly. It's a diverse place. As you mentioned, we have a Black president, Donovan Pines' dad. How about that? A <laughs> soccer dad being the president of our university. We've got a, a Black athletic director, Damon Evans, who's doing a phenomenal job. And we have a Black head coach, uh, Mike Loxley, whose daughter played college soccer at Auburn. And uh, we're friends. His daughter used to train in my backyard <laughs> when, when she played on my wife's team. So there's a lot of interconnections that make this a really special place. Uh, and you're right. We, we don't shy away from big issues, whether it's uh, supporting Robbie Rogers or whether it's supporting the social injustice. Uh, we're very transparent and we're not afraid to speak up. And more importantly, we're not afraid to actually do something and we're going to be doing more and more as time comes. Sasha, you're doing so much. I can never keep track. So I'm just going to kind of leave the floor open as you think about United Soccer Coaches, as you think about this Bill Jeffrey Award, as you think about getting through this pandemic and getting back on the field. What's on your mind, Sasha? What do you want to tell our listeners that, uh, that by the way, our listeners for the podcast is growing tremendously. What's your message, Sasha? Because you have so many things that you're working on. Well, I, I think, you know, the responsibility of being a coach is, is a massive one, whether you get paid a very little money or whether you get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, we're in positions of influence. We have incredible possibilities to grow young men and women. And as I've said before, I think it, it's important to leave whatever you're doing better because you're there, because of your influence, because of your presence. And and that's a message I try and teach to my players and other coaches. Enjoy the relationships. That's what is lasting. But I'm really proud of, you know, to call so many college coaches my friends and to have so many great relationships through this game, through this soccer ball, which is just a piece of leather and bladder with, uh, with wind in it. <laughs> Somehow it's, it's made my life complete. I just think too many people have gotten into the position of this is a transaction. Uh, coaching has become a transactional job. And I want to remind people that this is a transformational obsession. It's a, it, it, this is a passion of influence, of helping people, of helping grow the game. And I want to make sure that people take it very seriously, the responsibility as I have. So glad that I asked the question that way because you're always so inspirational. I'm going to st sound like a straight sycophant now, but you know what? I don't care because I call it like I see it. In my opinion, Sasho, you could have received this award 20 years ago. I mean that sincerely. You are a well-deserving recipient of the Bill Jeffrey Long-Term Service Award. Congratulations, Sasho Sarovsky, and thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you, Dean. Great to spend time with Sasho Sarovsky. He spent a lot of time with Rob Kehoe, who after 12 years as the Director of College Programs for United Soccer Coaches, announced his retirement on Tuesday. Sasho actually spent some time after this interview talking about what Rob Kehoe has meant to his program and to him personally, as well as the great job he did in his role as the director of college programs for United Soccer Coaches. We visit with Rob Kehoe when we return. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. 
Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Great to spend time with Sasha Sarosky, who, as we said, will get the Bill Jeffrey Lifetime Achievement Award. He referenced Rob Kehoe, who actually recommended him for that well-deserved recognition. And it was the news broke this week that Rob Kehoe is actually retiring from his longtime position as director of intercollegiate programs for United Soccer Coaches. Rob served in the role since 2008, expanding its scope as the primary liaison and advocate for college soccer with the NCAA, NAIA, and others, but also serving as the facilitator between the association's college coaches and MLS, NWSL, USL, and U.S. soccer. Among his many achievements, he represented United Soccer Coaches in spearheading the creation of the Intercollegiate Coach Association Coalition, known as ICAC, that has helped defend non-revenue college sports in this time of COVID-related cost-cutting. From 2008 to 2012, I had the great honor of working with Rob as he managed the association's college game of the week with Fox Soccer Channel. Rob Keough is a great man, a great motivator, and a great friend, and he joins me now. Rob, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Dean. It's, as always, enjoyable talking to you. A unique situation as we are moving forward into another arena. Well, yeah, and we want to get to another arena because you are so talented in so many ways, and I want to go over that. But first, I, I do want to reference Becky Burley, who reached out to you not that long ago about a birthday of yours. And it kind of reminds me, you're way too young to be retiring anyway, Rob. What's going on here? Well, you referenced Becky Burley's birthday greeting it was a couple of years ago, and the greeting said, you know how old you're getting when you're trying to book your airline ticket, and you have to scroll down for a long time to find your, your birth year, and uh, 1950 is a long way down there, and so for those mathematicians in the audience can figure out by that in 2020, how many years I've been on the planet. Thinking about that, I decided a while ago it's time to retire from this position while still having a lot of energy and ambition for some other areas. But also, I thought it was a good time to turn this over to uh, somebody else who might have the opportunity and the privilege to work for the association as I have the last 12 years. Yeah, 12 years. It's gone fast, but I know that you found it enjoyable, exhilarating, and rewarding. Well, the enjoyable, I mean, it's just amazing that I've had an opportunity throughout my professional career to enjoy my work so much. I mean, prior to coming on for the association, I was in my own business for decades doing leadership, team building programs, teaching sports skill and basketball and soccer, counseling in a wide variety of areas. And so it was all relationships. And I was able to work in an area that I'm very passionate about. And then I was invited to work for the Coach Association in 2008. And I looked at that as an interesting and unique opportunity. And then to have been able to 
have that for these years has been most enjoyable because of the vast array of relationships that have been able to develop, not only in the college world, but in all aspects of soccer, not only nationally, but internationally, as well as the entities that would be associated with college soccer, and that would be the NCAA, the NAIA, Major League Soccer, United Soccer Leagues, some of the youth leagues. And so within that, it's just been most enjoyable. And then the word exhilarating is one I think that is very, very accurate because I really enjoy being in the middle of the activity and conversations. And example of that would be, for instance, conference representative meetings to where we'll have, say, on the Division I level, 31 Division I women's conferences represented by a coach on the men's side, 24 and facilitating the communication in the midst of those to be able to share insights perhaps relating to what's going on with NCAA legislation or championships, things of that nature. Somewhat being a pivot person in communication has just been absolutely exciting to be a part of that. And I I love the conversations. I love the interactions of people. And then the rewarding is hopefully that we've done some things for the college game. And as you mentioned, Dean, my first assignment, actually, when I took the position in 2008, was to get on the road immediately and go to Los Angeles to oversee production of the first game of the year, the NSCA College Game of the Week on Fox Soccer Channel, where you and I met for the first time at the LA Galaxy Stadium, the Maryland and UCLA game. At that time, we had basically Friday night lights for Division One men's soccer, and we had Division One women's soccer game on at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And I looked at that and I thought, this is horrible. This is a terrible window for Division One women's college soccer. The late afternoon in the middle of the NFL season, you know, the second game of the weekend typically for these women. And I thought, I want to see if we could change this. And through negotiations with Fox Soccer and asking them to change their scheduling for their CONCACAF Champions League television production, we got... Thursday night lights, prime time for Division I women's soccer. And things like that, to me, were very rewarding. I think perhaps the other thing that was related to that would be in dealing with the NCAA and talking about some of the concerns that Division I men and women, as well as the Division II, Division III NAI coaches had about how compressed their schedule is in the fall. From that, the NCAA commissioned the first ever sports science summit for soccer. And then that was something that I worked with Dr. Brian Hainline of the NCAA that was conducted in February of 2015, from which some really important studies have come out relative to looking at college soccer and soccer in general and say, we might need to make some changes for the good of the game and the health and safety of the players playing it. So those are some exciting things. You mentioned the uh, Intercollegiate Coach Association Coalition. When I first started with the NSCA back in 2008, as it was called, there was really no navigational path for coach associations to engage with the NCAA. And over the couple of years and working with a couple of the coach association leaders, I presented a plan called the Sport Manager Point of Contact Model that I thought would be something that would produce some very healthy navigational relationship with the NCAA. 
and the NCAA implemented it to where now all coach associations have liaisons in the various departments at the NCAA, which is very important so that you know how to navigate and who your contact people are in areas like eligibility or legislation or championships. And then out of that, we formed the Intercollegiate Coach Association Coalition, which even as recently as last spring, in the midst of all the turbulence, we had a campaign called Save Our Sports that basically put the hold on conferences that were trying to push to reduce the number of sports that would be required to be sponsored for NCAA Division I membership, which is really important because what we've been fighting for is preservation of sports that perhaps don't get the notoriety or the recognition or they're called non-revenue sports, but are very important to the college structure and makeup. So those are some of the things that have been very, very rewarding. But most importantly, it's been in all three of those areas, as far as the enjoyment, the exhilaration, and the reward has been the relationships with the people. As I mentioned earlier, I had the great honor of working with you on that NSCA Game of the Week on Fox Soccer. And really is because of your good work, I think that the United Soccer Coaches podcast was even started. I even had a bigger honor of introducing you before one of your motivational speeches that moved me. Your winning ways training has been so inspirational. And you're going to push on with that with your son, Robert Kehoe III. You also do this incredible movement training system that I want you to talk about. And then you're also going to be working with your beautiful son, Nathan, who has Down syndrome, managing his art business. Before you talk about all of that, I want to read a quote from my former broadcast partner at the Big Ten Network, Richard Broad, former soccer coach. And he said this about you as it relates to a lot of what I just said. He said, virtually everyone in soccer is familiar with Rob Keogh and aware of his excellent reputation as a motivational speaker. What I didn't realize until watching his session Saturday afternoon in Baltimore is that he is an equally outstanding clinician. His presentation was far and away the best field session I observed. It was well-organized, creative, and kept the players fully engaged. Rob is comfortable in front of any audience and developed a comfortable rapport with the young man he was training. That he is able to demonstrate effectively further enhances his credibility with his audience. He has something to offer a wide range of coaches, no matter what age, gender, or talent level they work with. And here we go. So you've got winning ways, but part of what Richard Broad is talking about, Rob, is you are a marksman. I mean, you can shoot a basketball better than anybody. You can juggle better than anybody. You can throw a baseball better than anybody. And all of this is true, by the way. And that's what he's talking about. And you can even strike a soccer ball. You've got some unique talents, and you're going to focus on that now moving forward, right? Yes, I am, Dean. You mentioned the idea of Winning Ways, and, and Winning Ways has basically been my seminar series on leadership and team building through the years that really was my introduction into soccer back 30 plus years ago, beginning to work with college soccer teams and actually mentioned Sasho to where Sasho was an assistant coach at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee at the time. And my introduction to soccer was just through a youth clinic that he and Brian Tompkins, Brian was the women's coach at Wisconsin-Milwaukee at the time, were doing in the local high school in the community that my family and I moved into in, in uh, Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. And over the course of a year or two, I got to know Sasho and, and Brian, and they asked me to uh, begin to work with their soccer team on my Winnie Ways program. And then I fell in love with the game when I started seeing it. My little kids started playing it as a parent who had 
more kids than anybody else in the community I was at. <laughs> if I would start coaching and having not been raised around soccer, I got very much engaged uh, in the game. And I thought, if I can't play and I'm not so sure I, I can teach it as well. And so I got right in the middle of all of the trainings. And then what I began to see was all of the little refined skills that you could use to become a skillful, tactful and stealthful player, somebody who has a little guile. And I come from a basketball background. I was a point guard. I had a handle, and I began to look at the template I had developed for basketball training, for ball handling and shooting, and I began to just work on developing something similar for my kids as to how to practice in the backyard, and that evolved into a program that has had some very, very good recognition for unique training. And that's, I think, is what Richard was referring to. He saw how I engage players in a very specific curriculum-oriented training that is always designed to help players grow. But I have this theme that the game is played for fun, but it's most fun when you can make plays. You have to have skill to make the plays and practice makes the player. And so what we've developed is a really, really strong training program that integrates your athlete movement, strength, and conditioning program with ball handling. And it's something that we're working on. You know, we have a website, but we're developing also a mobile app. So we'll be getting into that world so that people will have an opportunity to see what we're doing on the field. And and my view is that it's something that will enhance individual training, but also ideas that I think are very important to improve the quality of our team trainings so that we're expanding the technical skill to go along with the tactical makeup of the game so that the game is not only played with more understanding, but more skill. We're here with Rob Kehoe, who has announced that he is retiring as the longtime director of intercollegiate programs. Talk a little bit about what you're also doing for your son, Nathan. Well, as you mentioned, Nathan is down syndrome. He's 21. He's still home with us. I mean, my wife and I, you know, we ended up having five sons and Nathan was number five. A little bit of surprise when I was turning 50. And so he's now 21 and he is a developing artist through a program that's offered in Whitewater, Wisconsin, near the University of Wisconsin, Whitewater called Studio 84. He's been going down and he's been training as an artist. He has produce some really beautiful pieces, mostly in the in the area of landscape. And so Studio 84 has begun to market his products. They have greeting cards and prints that they've made out of his work. He now has uh, uh, his own website. And yesterday, actually, in Nashville, Tennessee, his art was on display being sold at a, at a craft fair. He's in business. His mother and I are working with him to help him in in managing this. So I'm excited about this. I think all my sons have some very unique gifts. One's a guitar and maker and violin maker. Another one's a writer. And another one is an artist that paints huge murals and was recently featured in the uh, election edition of the New York Times for a mural that he painted in Madison, Wisconsin. And Nathan's an artist also. And so for him, we're really working with him to uh, continue to see his gifts grow and how his gifts can touch the lives of others and trying to to manage that. So the point is you are going to remain busy. Rob, as we wrap up our time with you, when you reflect on United Soccer Coaches, what has the association meant to you, sir? First of all, I'm just very thankful for the opportunity that I've been given. The invitation that came to me in 2008 
was very much appreciated. And, and part of it was that, you know, they offered me an opportunity to stay in my home in Wisconsin and work remotely. And so that was something I really appreciated. I had the opportunity to work for three CEOs in Jim Sheldon, Joe Cummings, and now Lynn Burling Manual. And I've appreciated the relationships and working with all of them and the staff. And, you know, as I look at this, having the fourth longest tenure of anybody in the association, Steve Veal and Allison Pronsky and Pat Madden preceded me there. Having been there 12 years, having had somewhat of the longevity, you know, I really value the relationships I've had with the people in the association or our national office. But, you know, throughout the whole world of soccer that I've been able to be involved with, the relationships have been most enjoyable. The smile that I have on my face when I read emails or get phone calls or watch games or just think about the opportunities that I've had over these years has been amazing. And that it's been through this vehicle of what was the NSCA and now United Soccer Coaches. And my introduction to United Soccer Coaches was like many, I went to a convention years ago when I was just getting involved in soccer and uh, I was meeting people and then I was asked to be a speaker at conventions, which I think is partly how I was becoming recognized more in the soccer world for presentations, and that it just became what I would call a gift of amazing grace. Soccer has become so much a part of my life and my family's, but then to have had the opportunity to work with the association and represent the association in the way that I've been, it's just been an amazing gift. You mentioned gifts, so let's end with this. We talked about a lot of gifts that you can still offer to colleges, to athletes, to coaches. What is your message about those gifts and how can people stay in touch with you, Rob? This idea of winning ways is something that I developed years ago. I call it an inspiration and a vocation. Is My goal always was to teach, to counsel, and to coach. And I didn't go the traditional route in college. You know, I got a political science degree, which probably helped me a little bit when I got to dealing with NCAA legislation and things of that nature. But it wasn't anything I ever wanted to pursue after college. And so I just basically made up my own world in terms of what I wanted to do. I had such a main focus in athletics. I wanted to help people succeed. And so I just began to uh, do my own research and come up with thoughts. And a lot of it had to do with the formation of my own training in terms of health and wellness and how to improve as a person and an athlete. You know, with that, this idea of winning ways came. And winning, I define as the pursuit and display of excellence consistent with potential, meaning that we always have the capacity to grow and that we are winning if we are growing. You know, only one team can end up a champion. So if we look at that as that's the only team or the only group of people that can be rewarded, I think we're undervaluing the whole experience. And that's where, you know, outcome is part of process. But my concern became, I want to help us to understand how to win through process. And that we look at each moment and we win our moments and small victories every day in the areas of opportunity that we have so that we are always growing and always giving from the gifts that we've been given as well. So that's what I'm hoping to utilize the remainder of my personal and professional energy and direct it toward 
amplifying that message and getting back in to some of the platforms that you know I was previously in and modernizing them into the 21st century to where they'll be available via our app and some of the sports specific training but most importantly to try to get this message out is that we're winning if we're growing and that we look at each and every day as a gift of opportunity we treasure the gifts and we make the most of that by winning our moments and small victories with Thanksgiving. Rob, I have so many great memories, whether it's that Maryland-UCLA game that you talked about that was a thriller at the then-named Ho Depot Center, or whether Binghamton and Boston University, <laughs> whether you doing sideline and being the best sideline reporter in the history of sideline reporting <laughs> UConn. One thing you need to know, Rob, is the Dean Linky Pool House is always open and available for you anytime, anytime. Well, Dean, thanks so much. And and this is bittersweet for sure, because some of the things that you mentioned are are just absolutely timeless treasures, you know, are up and down the coast, you know, from Seattle to Portland to Cal Poly to Los Angeles to uh, Hanover, New Hampshire, down to South Florida and many places in between, Texas Tech out there with Tom Stone and that group. I mean, it's just been an amazing journey. And so I look at this as kind of a, a perhaps a change of route, but I will continue to look forward to our continued communication involvement in soccer, as well as I will certainly take you up on the invitation for the pool house. <laughs> Rob Keel, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for all you've done for the association and we know you're going to do more great things for the game and for anybody who meets you. Rob Kehoe, all the best. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Rob Kehoe. Certainly wish him well in his next steps. Coming up, we wrap up what has been a big-time show with Big Ten in 10, Purdue Women's Soccer, Drew Roth and Maddie Williams. Join me and Jackie Manny after this message. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome to Big Ten Women's Soccer in 10, a 10-minute look with every coach of all 14 Big Ten Women's Soccer teams and one distinguished alumni. I'm Dean Linke, along with Illinois All-Big Tenner Jackie Manny, and we're delighted to be talking Purdue Women's Soccer today with their great head coach, Drew Roth, and their all-time leading scorer, Maddie Williams. Let's get rolling, Drew. I met you when you were at Illinois State. You impressed me then. I loved your ties to Michigan State. I knew you wanted to get back to the Big Ten. You've been there several years now. How much are you enjoying being at Purdue and being in the Big Ten? Well, I love being at Purdue. You know, as you know, I went to Michigan State, and I actually grew up in Ann Arbor, so growing up around the Big Ten, you just have a great appreciation for it. And, you know, certainly a bit of a dream come true to, to be part of it. And, you know, Purdue is just such a great university. And, you know, we feel like we're building something really special here. So, you know, despite all the challenges, um, you know, that we all have in the world today, uh, it's, 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 it's a great place to be. And we're real happy with uh, what the future holds. We're excited about it. Coach, you were crazy successful um, at Illinois State. What were some of the things that made you want to make that jump to Purdue? 
one thing is just, you know, just the great resources and just, uh, you know, competing at the highest level. You know, as I said, the Big Ten, I've always just had such a great respect for uh, the institutions. Uh, it's pretty awesome to coach in a conference where, you know, we certainly don't negatively recruit against anyone. Uh, it's just not our style. But at the end of the day, I tell recruits, you know, anywhere you go on the Big Ten, you can't go wrong. And I truly believe that. And uh, it's pretty special to be part of a conference like that. It was just uh, a challenge that, uh, you know, was ready for. And um, just, uh, like I said, just to, to be part of a, a university and a tradition that uh, is unparalleled was something that, uh, you know, I was I was seeking out. So it's uh, it's been a great challenge. Manny, I'm going to make you laugh. For 10 years, I was a paper boy for the Toledo Blade. They covered <laughs> you in your high school career when you won a state championship. They covered you when you were done. They covered the injury as well. Coming from Northwest Ohio, how did you find Purdue and what was so special about Purdue? Well, I think playing, like you said, in Northwest Ohio, it was a big jump. I remember when I first got to Purdue, I was obviously very talented to begin with and I had played all game, every game, basically growing up in Perrysburg and with my club. But once you get to college soccer in general, but especially a Big Ten University, you don't really always know what you're getting into and you're kind of playing on a team now where everyone was the best where they came from. So that jump was a little difficult for me. I mean, I played a bunch my freshman year, but um, I don't think I really reached my potential until the end of my career at Purdue, to be honest. So yeah, it was an adjustment for sure, but I mean, I don't think I would change anything. <laughs> Maddie, you are no stranger to rehabbing injuries and making big comebacks. What are some of the things mentally and physically that have gotten you through some of those injuries? Right. I mean, I've been injured when I was younger, but nothing that serious <clears throat> until I tore my ACL at Purdue. And I think just having a great support system around me while I was at Purdue and like Drew kind of touched on was the resources that were given. My athletic trainer at the time, Gina Morelli, she was basically my second mom and I don't think I would have gotten back without her. Um, and I had an awesome teammate that was going through the same type of thing as me at the same time. And my team really just, I think they knew that they needed me and wanted me back. And so they helped push me during my time off. Um, and then part of, like you said, just staying strong mentally. And, you know, I knew I wasn't done yet. And I mean, I was super upset. And obviously it was devastating when I tore my ACL for everyone. But like I said, having that support system and that believed in me and pushed me during my time off, um, I think that made me want to come back even more and even stronger. And that's exactly what happened. Coach, watching Maddie overcome that ACL and then going on to do such great things and breaking all those records, what do you remember about that? And perhaps how do you apply it to players that get injured now? Because injuries are always going to be part of the game. You know, I think Maddie serves as an outstanding role model for anybody who's who's been through that. Unfortunately, injuries are, you know, the one really negative part of our game that occur uh, and, it, and it happens, uh, you know, all too frequently. Uh, but any player that was in the program that saw Maddie, any player in the future uh, in our program will will hear about Maddie and, and get a chance to meet Maddie. And uh, she serves as someone who uh, took a you know you always hope through difficult times people find some silver linings. And I think you know Maddie took that opportunity to get away from the game, work incredibly hard, uh, realize how much she loved the game. Uh, she watched the game to learn, and uh, she came back with a vengeance. And she did come back as a as a more mature person and a more mature player. And she truly came back better and stronger. So I think she's just a fantastic uh, example of uh, how you can take a really difficult time in your life and uh, turn it into a positive. And when she came back, she was on a mission to to be great. And she went from a really, really good player uh, to a great player with that injury. 
and uh, it's uh, you know it's it's a great you know testament to just her her work rate and her uh, commitment and you know what her and the rest of that 17 senior class did for our program was tremendous. They they really got us back to the postseason and they got that winning mindset back to the program. Uh, so Maddie was that driving force that uh, you know I'll continue to tell my players about uh, until I'm done coaching. Maddie, everybody likes watching people chase records, break records, but not everybody gets to be that person. You did it while becoming the Big Ten Forward of the Year. Do you remember it? Was it a big deal as you were chasing down and becoming the all-time leading scorer at Purdue? Yeah, I mean, of course it was a big deal. I think the second I stepped foot on campus at Purdue, that was my goal before I had even scored goal number one. That was what I wanted to do. I was a goal scorer my whole life, um, so that was obviously the goal. But, um, you know, the first record that I broke at Purdue was the assist record. So that's something that um, I think as time went on, I realized that there was more than I was capable of than just scoring goals. Of course, I remember it. <laughs> I mean, I have a bunch of, you know, the record balls in my house and stuff like that. So, of course, I remember it. Um, I think the reason it was so special was because it really came down to crunch time and I didn't break the goals record until the very end of my fifth year. And those goals were very needed for our team to get into the postseason. So I think that made it more special for me. For me personally was that, um, you know, those goals like really meant something. And actually, I think if I remember correctly, the goal that I scored to break the record was away at Penn State, which was not really supposed to happen. So <laughs> that is uh, definitely memorable. <laughs> Coach, uh, kind of going back to the current team, you've had a pretty young lineup the past couple years. Um, now that they have some experience under their belt, how has this group developed and what are some of the characteristics of this team right now? Yeah, well, I'm really excited about the group that we have because, you know, as you mentioned, we, we played a lot of players early in their careers uh, to get experience. And uh, certainly there's going to be some growing pains when you go that route, but you just hope that it pays off in the future. And we're really starting to see uh, some of that take, take effect because – uh, just in this short amount of time that we've had to train, you know, the level has been, you know, just as high as it's ever been. So uh, I feel like this group is a nice blend. There's some, there's some youthful energy. There's some uh, some seasoned players, uh, even going into some players going to year three. They've started every game for us. So we'll have uh, uh, for the first time in a long time, we'll have a, a group of juniors and seniors that are starting for us. And uh, I think that's going to pay off. You know, we, we feel that uh, uh, last year just, uh, you know, finding our way there towards the end and, you know, getting the results and having to, to kind of grind and defend and, and really work for that. Um, that was kind of how we had to play at the moment to get the result we needed. But we feel like uh, with the experience we have and the talent we have, we can definitely play a little bit more uh, on the front foot and definitely, uh, you know, take it to teams a little bit better and play it the style that, you know, we've kind of been uh, preparing for for years. So I think uh, this upcoming season we're going to showcase, uh, you know, just uh, the best brand of soccer that we've been able to play and uh, I'm very excited about what the future holds for this group. Maddie, just talk a little bit about where you're at now and what's next for you. So I played my first professional season after Purdue in the Netherlands, um, and I finished up my second professional season in Spain in February. Um, it ended a little short for me personally because of a hamstring injury. Um, so I came home and had surgery about six months ago. So I'm still in the rehab process um, with that. And obviously with all of everything going on with COVID, that's all up in the air. But the plan is to get back and hopefully get into the league here starting in February. To wrap it up, Maddie, when you hear the words Purdue Boilermakers in one sentence, what's it mean to you? <laughs> 
Well, that's pretty hard to put in one sentence, but when I think of a Boilermaker, I think of hard work, grit, dedication, um, which is exactly what I told the assistant Snoop the other week, that if anyone can get through this mess going on right now, it's a Boilermaker. Love it. It's Purdue Women's Soccer Big Ten Women's Soccer in 10 with Drew Roth and Maddie Williams. What a great show. I want to thank all of our big-time guests as well as Sean Chevrolet and Mike Knipper at United Soccer Coaches for each and every one of them. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.